Wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice, saying the same old things over and over again? Uh, no. This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers. And here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Welcome back, everyone. We're excited to have you on the Legacy Lawyers podcast. This is Nathan Croxford, and I am one of your hosts today. And this is Mike Haslam, and I am the other host. On this episode, we're going to go back in time and we're going to get into what makes Mike Haslam tick. Um, we feel like it's important in order for you to understand the context of what we're going to be talking about in our podcast going forward, that you know a little bit about who we are and how we got to be where we're at. Um, the things that matter to us and the things that we're passionate about. Um, to start that off, what we wanted to do is have Mike um, take us back to when he was a, a young lad and bring us forward to the future. Maybe not that far, but Mike, what is it that um, got you started on this path? Did you always want to grow up and be an estate planning attorney? You know, Nathan, I remember in fourth grade writing in, on, my, on my little sheet what I wanted to grow, what I wanted to be when I grow up, estate planning attorney. That was right there. No. <laughs> I <laughs> no. did not do that. I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a estate planning attorney was, right? Um, I don't, no, I didn't even know I wanted to go to law school until, um, you know, my junior year when I was studying my undergrad. And even when I was in law school, I didn't really know what part of the law I really was going to be passionate about or what I really cared about. And so actually what I did is like what most law students would do is I started a business my second year of law school. <laughs> so I'm like, this is perfect. I'm paying all this money to get a legal education. Let's, let's start a business. For everyone listening, that is not what most second year law students do, start a business. So right there, that's a, that's a clue that Mike is a different kind of bird, cut from some different cloth than most lawyers. Well, I, I, I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial that would help families and help people. And so actually, my mom has been a hospice nurse for a long time. She's, she was a nurse her whole career, and she had done hospice for quite a while. And so I had a business partner approach me um, my second year of law school and said, hey, I want to get into the home health and hospice arena. And I know you have some family connections there. You want to do this joint venture with me. 
And I agreed. And so um, we started working on it. And um, I'll skip a lot of the details, but essentially it takes a long time to get all the Medicare approvals and to start a home health and hospice. There's, it's very heavily regulated and it's quite the process. So I started on it my second year and it was ready to be, you know, up and running when I graduated law school. So I, I decided to start um, studying for the bar and I also was running the day-to-day operations of this home health and hospice. And, um, I did that. I ran the, I, I kind of did both, but most of my time was spent in home health and hospice for almost two years. And it was really, really good experience. Um, because I learned, I learned a lot about helping people. I learned a lot about what families deal with when their loved one's sick. And for those who are listening, who don't know what hospice is, it is, um, an amazing service that helps families when their loved ones are close to passing away. So technically they, you know, they usually say they have a diagnosis of six months or less to live and it's a whole team of professionals, right? You got the doctor, you got the, you got the hospice nurse, you have a social worker, you have a chaplain and you have volunteers and you have CNAs and this whole team helps the family take care of their loved one until they pass away. So can I ask you, Mike, what was your um, role in that as kind of the owner operator, like what did you do on a day-to-day basis in the business? Yeah. So I was technically the administrator uh, as well as one of the owners. And so I made sure all the day-to-day went well. Um, so I'd start with, you know, the meetings with the team and, you know, make, make sure that how all our operations, all our communications went smoothly. Um, but I was also an attorney, right? Um, I managed to balance both starting the, starting that business and studying for the bar. And I, you know, not too long after we started the hospice, I would sworn, I was sworn in and I was a practice, I was a licensed attorney. And, um, there was a law firm that, um, I worked for part-time that I would just work on cases when I felt like I had the time, but of course all my staff knew I was a lawyer, right? Um, all my team knew I was a lawyer. And so they sometimes would mention it to our, our families that we were serving and so when the families had a problem, um, especially when it was kind of legal related, they'd be like, Hey, well, maybe, maybe, uh, Mike knows the answer to that. Um, or sometimes they would, my staff would say, Hey, this family brought this up to me. You know, do you think they need a lawyer? Um, do you think they need help? And I could, I could just tell, you know, I could just spend the next hour or two just telling you some of the different stories. Um, but I remember I'll just share one real quick. Like, I was, you know, in my office and one of the families were helping, um, brought in a will and, um, they said, you know, my parents, um, just passed away and we don't know what to do with this. And, um, someone told us we need to do probate. Do you think we really need to do probate? And it wasn't my thing then, right? I took the, I took the classes in law school. So obviously I knew what probate was. I knew what a valid will needed to have and, Um, but you know, I'd never done a probate before. So, you know, I, I, I kind of pointed them in the direction of someone else I think would be better to help them, but I would get those questions all the time, right? Like, Hey, the bank won't let us access mom and dad's account. Um, cause they don't, you know, they don't recognize us as her power of attorney. Um, and, and on and on and on basically. So I thought it was weird that so many families had all these different problems 
And I thought it was kind of strange that so many of them would ask us for help with them and ask them what we should, or, or ask me, I guess, ask me what they should be doing. Um, cause almost all these families had done some estate planning. Like most of the families had a binder or legal documents that they had set up. So it didn't make sense really why their kids were having some of the problems they had. So eventually, um, the, the long-term goal was to, to step away from being the administrator of this home health and hospice and go into law full time and, um, you know, train someone else to take over that position. Um, but you know, after being there for about a year, um, it became obvious that that was going to be really hard. Um, the biz, the type of business requires, um, a lot of, um, attention because of how heavily regulated they are and how, how particular Medicare is. And so, um, I, every time I started to pull away, I felt like, um, the, the compliance issues would become bigger and bigger. And so I got to a point where I just had to evaluate like what, you know, what do I really, really want? And the reason I started the home health and hospice, because like I said, I, I love helping people. I like doing a business that I feel like has a big impact on families. Um, but as an administrator, I didn't really feel like I was impacting families, right? I feel like that was the nurses and the CNAs and the people that were actually going in the family's homes. And I was, you know, doing, you know, what management does is hope trying to help everyone do their job and be successful at it. And, and, and then I thought of all the, you know, all the families who came to me for, for legal questions and help. And I, I decided that that's really, um, really what I wanted to do to help families, um, is to practice law. And I felt like estate planning was a really natural fit for me. And it was really something that um, I could understand well, because a lot of estate planning issues are a combination of um, what does the law say, but also like healthcare issues, family dynamics, it all kind of ties in. And so I felt my background in home health and hospice really helped me understand some of the um, legal issues that families faced in a more practical sense and a more practical standpoint. Can I ask you a couple questions? Sure. So I think, first of all, one of the rules that we have on our podcast is that when we use terms, we're going to define those for folks. Um, and you used a word earlier, probate. Can you just define that um, so that if, I, I know probably most everybody listening has heard of it and many might know what it is, but just to to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Tell us what that is. So I, I'm not going to define it, but I'll, I'll describe what it is. So like if I died yesterday um, and my family goes to sell my house, I'm not here to sign that deed at, you know, at closing. So the person buying it can have the title or the deed transferred to them. Right. I'm not here to sign all the closing documents that you'd normally see in a real estate transaction. Mm -hmm. And so the only place my family can go to get that permission is the court. So they have to go to the court and say, Hey, judge, give me legal authority to take care of this deceased person's assets. And, and then the court oversees, you know, all the decisions that the family makes. And there's a lot more to probate than that. Like there's different types of probate and different levels of complexity, but the general idea is I'm not here to sign anything. I passed away. So 
The court is the only person who can give someone permission to sign up on behalf of a deceased person. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how I like to describe it. I mean, would yeah. you add anything to that? No. Um, and I mean, it's obviously something that we're going to talk about at great length in you know, multiple episodes going forward because it's just something that comes up so often. And it's a big part of why we do what we do. The next thing that I wanted to kind of um, double back on in your story is you mentioned that, you know, you were surprised that people had, you know, they had documents, they'd worked with an, an attorney, um, but they still were really lost as to what they should do. And, and I understand that's one of the things that drove you to, um, to create a, a law firm and start a practice to help provide guidance in those areas. But I've actually heard you explain this um, in a lot more stark terms. Um, I've heard you talk about the destruction, the devastation. I mean, these are the types of words I've heard you use. Um, when you've, when you've talked to me about, you know, the reasons that you felt like you needed to get involved and help people. So can you talk more about that and maybe give us an example of, of the kind of carnage that, that you saw take place when a family had not properly planned in advance for the things that they ultimately ended up facing? Yeah, I, I actually dealt with um, this case when I was still doing both home health and hospice and law. Um, I had a, I had a, a daughter hire me um, of a gentleman and hit, and he had passed away and he had a trust, which I won't define here, but we'll talk about later. And basically his daughter was in charge of making sure that his wishes got followed. Right. Um, basically the plan said, divide all my assets in four equal shares between my four children. And, um, the daughter did that to the best of her ability, but shortly after she did that, um, one of her sisters sued her. And so they went to court and, um, I took over the case about two years in. And when I went through the several boxes of legal documents, um, and got up to speed on the case, I sat down with the client and I explained to her that, if we go to court, there's a, if we go to trial, sorry, if we go to trial, there's a really good chance the judge will order you to pay some money um, back to the trust or pay some money to your siblings. And it's not because I think you did anything wrong, but it's because we don't have all the documentation and evidence we need to make it easy for the judge to rule in our favor. Was that a result of her not keeping good records, not understanding what her role was as a trustee? So it was a combination of things. So the first place, this could have all been avoided if her dad did his estate planning differently. Okay. So the way he prepared his estate planning documents were not practical. Um, and he wasn't being objective about his family dynamics. There were, there were a little bit of hard feelings between some of the siblings, um, but not to the point that it should have escalated to where it was when I took over the case. And the bottom line is um, a lot of his planning was really outdated. Like he, his trust by the time he passed away was 20 years old and he had never been updated or, or really changed. And so the language in the trust was super vague. 
And so how is a trustee supposed to know, know what to do if it's not clear, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you think about it, like most people who act as their parents' executor or trustee or whatever, whatever you, the, every state's different. So whatever you want to call it, whoever's taking their care legal of legal representative. Yeah, the legal representative of your state or your affairs after you die. They've never done it before most of the time. And so the odds of them not knowing exactly what they should do is very high. And the odds of them making a mistake is pretty high. And so a combination of having a poorly written estate plan and a trustee not knowing what they should do really made the situation a lot worse. And what you may have already said this and I missed it. If I did, I'm sorry, but um, what was the outcome? So we, we got really close to settling it a couple times, but we could, we couldn't get a, all the parties to agree on a settlement. So we did go to trial and after three days of all the evidence being presented, the judge came back and the judge, she ruled that my client needed to pay about $20,000 to her siblings, hmm. which is a, decent chunk of money, right? Um, she thought it should be zero. Um, her sister who, who was suing her was asking for a lot more than that. You know, she was asking for hundreds of thousands of dollars and the judge thought it should be 20. And so um, no one was really happy, right? My client wasn't happy. Um, her sister wasn't happy, um, but they finally got a judge's resolution on the matter. Well, that's not even the real reason I bring up the story. The real reason is by the time we settled, by the time the case was finalized, this was four years into it. And so when you add up what both sides paid on attorney's fees, they were way over a hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees. And the assets of the estate were probably a half a million. So they spent four years fighting over something spent a, fifth of the estate on this dispute and, and none of, yeah, they lost a fifth of it to the lawyers and they'll, and the, they'll never speak to each other again. Tell me more about, cause anybody that's been involved in a legal proceeding, um, we won't have to explain to them what that feels like, but tell me about, cause we've heard about the financial costs. Tell me about the, emotional um, and relate. You've already mentioned some relationship issues, but talk about the experience. What was it like for your client? What was it like on a day-to-day -day basis for her over those couple years you represented her? Yeah, that's, that's probably the part that you really can't quantify. Like my client had tons of health issues by the end of this. And hmm. I mean, the stress of litigation is really hard to to express unless someone's actually been through it. I mean, I mean, she lost she lost tons of sleep over it, right? Um, it impacted her health. We had to postpone a few things because of health, and it just wasn't my client. The other party had health issues that we had to postpone and delay things for. And um, it, I mean, it's probably if you asked them, it's probably the worst two, four years of their lives, right? Because they were going through this. And then even though the judge finally said, hey, this is how I'm resolving this, you know, there was still um, years more of the pain, the emotional pain that they still had to heal from. Yeah. And I think it's one thing to be involved in litigation where you're 
you know, suing on a contract and you don't have any personal relationship with the person on the other side, but I think it takes that pain and that, um, you know, the, the emotional toll just goes way, way, way up when it's a family member on the other side. Maybe you can talk about that. Well, yeah, I mean, this person is supposed to have your back. They're supposed to be someone who's there for you to help you. And I mean, it feels like the ultimate betrayal when they sue you. <laughs> I mean, like it's just, it. there's no way there's, it's hard to feel any other way. So, so this case, like by the time we got to the end of it, I'm just like, how did, how did they get to this point? Like I said, it was four equal shares. I mean, it should never have gotten to this point. And then I started looking at all these other cases and all these other, and they weren't just litigation cases, right? They were just maybe cases where families had to do probate or where families had a hard time getting money from the life insurance company or um, cases where maybe a kid took advantage of mom and dad's money when they're incapacitated. There's all sorts of scenarios and, and we'll have a lot of good episodes that go into some of these scenarios in detail, but I, I just like, why, why did they have to go through that? There, there had to be a way to avoid this. There had to be a way to avoid the outcome. And when I looked at what most of the other estate, so, so at this point I had just, so I had just left my home health and hospice. I had my business partner buy me out. Okay. And I decided I didn't want to go just work for another firm because I was just going to be doing things like everyone else. And that just did not make sense to me. And so I, I started my own practice and I knew it was going to be in estate planning. And then the challenge was, what do I got to do to find a way to avoid these outcomes for my clients? Like there's got to be a way to avoid these negative outcomes or at least substantially decrease them because this, this should never happen to anyone. What my, what my poor client went through as a trustee, that can't be the outcome. And um, I, I started noticing patterns in what a lot of um, families did. Um, a lot of people had described this, uh, their experience like this. They'd say, I went to the lawyer. I told him if I die tomorrow, this is who I want to get my stuff. Um, he prepared me some documents. I signed the documents and I took them home. And, that, and now I have an estate plan and I'm covered. I'm good to go. Well, if, if you're being honest with yourself, like the documents are a very small part of the plan. Like the documents are maybe the vehicle, but the people driving the vehicle matter more than what you're, what kind of vehicle you're driving, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. But I think um, maybe you're giving a little bit too much credit in terms of understanding that. I think that as a profession, attorneys in general haven't done a very good job of helping people understand what legal planning should look like. And so I think there is a pretty big misconception out there that it's a check it off your list once and you're done. Um, and as long as you have those fancy documents in that fancy binder, you're good to go. I think there's a lot of people that, that feel like if it's done, it's done. So what do you mean by, you know, 
the documents are just a small part. Yeah, so they have to, your family, when I say that, your family has to use those documents to execute your wishes and to accomplish your goals that you created. And so if you think about how you do your budget or your financial planning, um, you know, you come up with a budget for the next year, like, hey, this is how my budget's going to work. And by the end of the year, or at some point in the near future, you adjust the budget right? Like Mm -hmm. something changed in your life. So you're going to spend more money here and less money there, or you, your priorities have changed. So you're going to spend more money here, less money there. And, um, the same, if the same works with every plan, no matter what plan you have in your life, you're going to revisit it and change it. Um, and you have a career, you have, you have a plan for your career. This is my career. Well, it probably changed, right? Something happened and you changed the plan for your career. And the same, same thing is with estate planning documents. Like the attorney drafted what you wanted at that moment in time. But the second you left that attorney's office, your assets changed, your law, the law changed, your goals changed, your family changed. And to expect all those changes not to impact your plan is not, is not practical, right? It's been That's impacted. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's not realistic. I mean, another example would be financial advisors. You don't just place your money with an advisor and walk away and never check in with them again. Yeah, um, I'll check on it in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm not saying that an estate plan needs to be visit, revisited as often as a as a financial plan or as a as a budget, but um, you know, it it's absolutely true that the documents themselves are static, and the lives that are tied to those documents are dynamic, and things are going to change. And so, what's the solution? I mean, if if it's Am I going to be changing my documents constantly? And the answer to that should be no, right? Like that's where that's where having the right um, strategy is so cru- crucial to getting a great outcome. So once I realized that that's what families were doing, they they were going to the attorney, getting some documents, and putting it on the shelf, and then just assuming they checked that off the list and never thinking about it again. Then it gave us um, gave me and you, um, some ideas on like, Hey, this is what we can do to really change the outcomes for our clients. And Mm -hmm. the reality is, is the focus needs to be on having a trusted relationship with a trusted advisor. And the focus can't be on getting a set of documents from an attorney. Um, getting a set of documents from an attorney will get you the outcome that we described if anything isn't perfectly lined up, you're going to have problems. Um, But having a trusted advisor there is what matters because they're the person who's going to, they're the person who's going to recognize the mistake before it becomes a problem. And families just don't know what they don't know. And so for them to recognize the problem before it happens, it can be, it's really challenging, difficult for them. So what I found is when when I practiced with my clients in more of a 
role as their trusted advisor that's going to help them create a good plan now, but who's going to also meet with them in the future to update their plan. And then I'm also going to help their trustee, executor, power of attorney, whoever your legal representative is, if I'm also going to be able to educate them when they actually have to now act or have to actually do their job, if, if I'm able to point them in the right direction and give them the support they need, then I get a really good outcome. I get families who say this exact thing to me after we go through what they need to do. They say, is that really all I have to do? They are surprised there isn't more to it. And that is the sign of a successful plan is when the kids are surprised, they don't have more work to do to administer their parents' wishes. Then we know we did a fantastic job. Yeah. And that's, and that's where like I get all of the, you know, my satisfaction from is when I, when I see that for families, that's, that's amazing. And that's, that's what we love. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to know about um, your background um, and what brought you to this point? You know, that that's the gist of my journey, right? Like I, I thought I was, I thought I was going to help families one way. And then I recognized that people weren't getting served the way they needed to. And I, I was lucky enough to have the background and training and skill to be able to step in and say, Hey, this is, this is the best way to do it. And this is how, if you do it this way, this is how you can really have the um, results you want. And you can have not, I call it kind of a false sense of peace of mind. Um, when you, when you do the planning, kind of what I call the old approach, when you do the planning and just put it on the shelf, um, instead of having that false peace of mind, you can have real peace of mind. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of what led me to that, um, realization that that's how you can accomplish it. Mm -hmm. Other than that, the good thing to know about me, Nathan is, um, you know, besides estate planning, I, I really have just two other passions, my, my family and my favorite sport is wrestling. So if anyone wants to talk about, and not like WWE wrestling, right? Like Olympic college wrestling. Like if anyone wants to talk about estate planning or wrestling, I'm down. It sounds so boring. <laughs> estate <laughs> planning or wrestling? Look, luckily, my brother uh, loves wrestling, so I just call him. Yeah. Um, and Mike is super passionate about wrestling. Um, one of these past years for Christmas, I got him a subscription to a thing called, we're going to give a shout out here. Yeah. <laughs> Flow Wrestling, which Flow is wrestling. a which is a subscription that allows you to basically watch if there's a wrestling match going on in the world, you have access to the video of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it saves my life. I don't know how I would watch wrestling. Otherwise you, you'd never see me in the office. I just have to fly to all these wrestling events and yeah, live out of my car or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, um, thanks for giving us some, insight on on Michael Haslam um, and we'll get to know Mike more as we as we continue on with further episodes um, and I guess that means that the next time we get together for an episode I'm going to be in the hot seat 
Yeah. Next time we get to find out what makes Nathan Croxford tick. And I think that's going to be fun because um, I got some surprise questions for him. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try to anticipate those. Um, <laughs> it will be fun in the sense that it's interesting that we've ended up working together now for seven, almost eight years. And yet my background and where I come from and how I got here is not even close to your story. So completely different, more of the traditional um, route, I guess I'd say. Um, so thanks for being with us today, everyone. We're so excited to be um, providing this podcast and um, getting our message out to as many people as we can. And we'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode where I will be on the hot seat. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.